We've said it before and we'll say it again. One of the most important things when it comes to your live streaming is not necessarily your video, but it's your audio. And today we have an audio expert when it comes to mixing live stream. He'll share five tips to make your live stream sound strong. Next on the Church Solutions Podcast. It's the Church Solutions Podcast, brought to you by StreamingChurch.tv. The Church Solutions Podcast is all about helping you and your church with technology and other encouraging ideas for ministry. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Lacey and Phil Thompson. Hey folks, welcome again to, I think this is episode 295, according to Apple, the Church Solutions Podcast. My name is Phil Thompson. And I'm Steve Lacey. Steve, we've done more than 300 of these, but I think with Apple, they're calling this 295. And so we're coming up on 300. So that's kind of a milestone since we do this every week, just once a week, right? Yeah. We yeah, used to be you... diligent in the early days of uh, tracking some numbers, but yeah, not so anymore. We've got stuff out there. If you go to streamingchurch.tv, and I think there's like an info menu tab, you can see stuff that goes way back. I don't know how far it goes back, but we, we did some stuff all over the place. So anyhow, we had 20 years here of serving churches. So uh, we're a tech company, in case you're just happening to be finding us here. And uh, as we said, we serve churches in the area of streaming video, mobile apps, uh, website templates, and we have a new product called MyChurchDaily.com. So when you get a chance, just go to MyChurchDaily.com, and it is a uh, tool that you can use to actually uh, get into, uh, you can get on Alexa and do the flash briefing. It's a very simple tool that you could use. You could upload audio to mychurchdaily.com and your church or your ministry or whatever you've got uh, could be a could could be a flash briefing with uh, with Alexa, which millions of people now have. So uh, I have one here and I shut it off so I could say Alexa without being interrupted. Nice. Uh, Okay. All right. So what are we doing today? So you're done with that. All right. So what are we doing today? Today we have a special guest. Lauren Aldrin is our guest. Lauren, how are you? I am well. Thank you, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, glad to have you here. Lauren has extensive experience uh, in distance education and also technology management. He was a technology coordinator for many years at Caltech Teach, which is a, a program of Cal, uh, Cal State University. I think for like 20 years or so. And he's got a broad um, skill set, technical stuff, non-technical areas. Now, uh, you didn't put this in your bio that you sent me, but you've got a master's, right, in uh, educational and instructional technology. Am I right on I that? I do. I All do. Right. You do good research. Well, you know, you've got to find out who we're talking to here. And uh, also, you've got to be a, in music technology. So uh, just quickly, and by the way, so we don't lose people here, uh, we're going to talk in just a moment, five tips. This is an article that uh, Lauren wrote recently, five tips to make your live stream sound strong. Before we get into that, what is music technology? I think I know, but tell me what it is, since you got a degree in it. Uh, well, my degree is in instructional technology. Okay. And uh, well, okay, let's strike that. So my, my BA is actually in recording arts. 
Ah. So uh, a music background, and I've always been fascinated with the technology side of music in addition to being a musician. Right. I've always enjoyed recording. In fact, when I was 16 years old, I had a small uh, eight-track recording studio in the back room of one of my dad's uh, commercial complexes. So I've been really into recording a long time, uh, spent some time in Nashville with the studio, um, helping Christian artists and okay. recording with them. And uh, so, so technology and the, the creative side of things have always kind of blended together in my, in my brain, and I've enjoyed both of those immensely. So a recording arts degree in music was the, the main degree. And then on top of that, I added an instructional design or a, a instructional technology a master's degree just to kind of round it out because I also love to help people understand. I love to teach. I love to write. And, you know, those just kind of all, all come together for me there. Wow. That's awesome. That That's really good. You know, I was in broadcasting for 20 years. And when I went to this one church, they said, hey, Phil, why don't you run sound since you have radio background? I was like, uh, you don't understand. It's not the same. <laughs> but well, that's cool. So. So. Uh, all right. So uh, I want to talk about five tips today uh, to make your live stream sound strong. And uh, I'll let uh, well, let me just kick off with a question here, and then I'll let Steve Lacey jump in here. But one of the opening statements you make in this article is when teaching video production, you say, I use two exercises to stress the often overlooked importance of audio. And, and uh, you know, watch a movie. You said, watch a movie if no sound, and note how hard it is to engage. And then listen to a movie with your eyes closed and note how the experience is still very compelling. How did you come up with that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it was probably back many years ago when I was writing for a video maker magazine. And with my audio background primarily and then getting also into video, I ended up writing a lot of articles about audio for video and trying to stress for people how important it is because I mean, it really is yeah. tends to be the ugly stepsister of video as I like to call it. So, you know, you have people <laughs> focusing all this in, in energy and time and money on getting the latest, you know, camcorder, latest lens, latest this and that, and they completely forget about the audio. And to some degree, yeah. you know, churches are now almost in the opposite situation where I think they've done a good job with audio and now they're finding, oh my goodness, we've got to make it look good too. So it's kind of a reverse thing. But just if it seems to me like the, uh, the eyes are, are very important clearly for getting information in, but there's just something very compelling about sound, um, almost more visceral, I think in a way. So that's just a good exercise for people to just help them understand that you, you cannot neglect the power of, of audio. It really gets in and I think actually connects with the emotions more directly than, than what we see often. Absolutely. That's consistent with you know, what we kind of teach as well. Um, and we get, uh, we get to deal with people that are having problems. You know? And if the, if the video buffers a little bit, but the audio stays good, People will stick with you typically, but mm -hmm. if the audio falls out and the video looks great, they're out of there. I mean, there's no patience for it. So, yeah, we, we agree completely with you that the, uh, the audio element is really important. Yeah, Absolutely. important than the video. Yeah. Well, this podcast that we're doing right now can be uh, listened to by anybody, and only some of them who choose to track it down will actually get to watch it as well 
frankly, my face is not very compelling, but what we're talking about, what we're saying is where the real information is. Well, there you go. All right. So uh, the article, five tips. The first tip you say is get into a different headspace. What do you mean by that? It's easy to forget that the streaming audience out there is is a completely different audience, essentially experiencing something completely different than somebody who is sitting there, you know, in a chair or a pew. And the sooner people can make make that break and they can basically think of them uh, as trying to serve two different audiences to the best of their abilities, I think the the quicker they are able to start making those changes uh, to how they capture, how they uh, mix, how they process all of those things. Because, you know, truly what's being heard in the venue is colored, if you will, by so many things that your streaming audience will never experience that you really have to make it make a split kind of in your brain. And that's why I think most churches have success when they can dedicate someone to the stream who is not also responsible for trying to meet the needs of the, the primary, you know, the live audience. Get someone com just focusing only on that. If you have to do both, then you have to be switching hats, essentially the whole time making sure that you're serving that other audience that's having a completely different experience than those folks there at the venue. Yeah. And you talk about um, potentially getting having different playback systems in different location. Um, I would assume if I'm sitting in the congregation uh, mixing sound for the web, I'm going to be much more concerned about the sound in the house than I am in the web. So, if, How do you if, overcome that bias there? Yeah, well, and that that's kind of that's kind of one of the later points that I made in the article. Um, sometimes, you know, getting out of the physical space is what you really need to to kind of cut that um, and and make that break. So I don't want to jump ahead. I don't know if you had any other questions on that first point, but that that's another you know that's kind of the next important thing to consider. Yeah. Well, I think so. And the first point, you know, getting a different perspective, making sure you have a different perspective. And then, uh, as Steve brought up here, getting into a different physical space is your second point. I remember at, at, at the church I used to work with, which is Steve's church, uh, we had our guy in the back, in, in actually it was kind of a back closet at the time, uh, mixing the sound, which... I think in, in, in retrospect, especially looking at your article here, that was genius. <laughs> yeah, right? Because he wasn't there right in the auditorium. He was in the back closet and, and uh, you know, stuck away from everybody, alone and, and uh, you know, despised. But uh, people, you know, he did a really good job. Uh, he probably might even be listening to his podcast, Mark Small. Uh, was one of the guys that used to mix our sound and he was in a different physical space and i think you're right i think that really made a big difference you've got the you've got the sound of the actual venue you've got the inevitable um you know fingerprint that the acoustics of the venue put on what you're doing you've got how the pa is dialed in you've got volume from the stage you've got floor wedges that may be cranking you may have an acoustic drum set i mean there are so many things that are 
factored into what you're hearing as you sit there. And many of those that I just listed are not going to end up in the streamed audio. So you can't really mix for the venue from outside the venue. You can't really mix for a streaming audience from in the venue. Not only do you have all those competing things coming at you, but you also have the inevitable delay. You know, you have the lag that makes it chaotic at best to try and do one while you're sitting there. I mean, you can you can put in uh, I've even recommended to people if you're in that situation, you can put in earbuds and then you can put closed back headphones over those and then you can clamp your hands over the top and squint your eyes down. (laughs) I mean, you know, obviously anything to try and block out what is being heard in the venue so you can actually hear what's going on. Um, But yeah, even. Even in you know worst case scenarios, I've seen people simply walk out into the foyer um, and and listen on their phone to capture mm-hmm. what's going on with the live stream with earbuds in, and then if they need to, they can go back and make an adjustment. It's just almost impossible to do it in the same physical space. That's why the further removed you can be from what's going on in the venue, the clearer and more accurate your decisions can be in terms of the mix, the post processing, the levels, and that kind of stuff outside of the chaos of the actual sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, that so, that was my next. I'm sorry, Steve, I'm stepping on you. But that was going to be my next question. What if you're stuck? I mean, you have nowhere else to go except you're in. So and you already answered it. I mean, do whatever you can headphones or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, walk outside occasionally. <laughs> yeah. And something else that's really helpful, too. And when people are in a situation where they don't have the option of getting out, like I mentioned, you can, you know, you can walk out and if you can abandon the mix for long enough to listen from the foyer or from a hallway yeah. or um, right. you, you have someone that's sitting in their car, whatever it takes, you know, you can try to get a, a second opinion. Uh, the other thing is, if you're unable to do that, then I recommend that people, you know, really go to school on how the live stream sounds after the fact. So listen back to what everybody was hearing um, at the time of the stream and figure out what's going on. You know, is is there no bass? Well, you're not maybe hearing any bass from your live stream because there was so much bass in the room, like the bass guitarist amp was cranking or the subs were sky high and all of that stuff is brought down in the mix, but it doesn't translate over. So you can start to go, okay, yeah, the vocals sound buried or I really can't hear the drums. That's because they were feeding acoustically into the space so much that they were hardly in the mains at all, hence hardly in the mix, hence hardly in the stream. So you can start to go, oh, I, if, I, if I can find a way to bump the drum submix by 6, 8, 10 dB for the stream, guess what? We're going to have something that sounds better. And you may overshoot the following week and you may undershoot the third week. But by the fourth week, you may have made the changes that at least give you kind of a good baseline mix to work from, knowing how the live sound doesn't translate to the mix. So right. granted, you know, that's that's a pretty abstract way to do it, you know, and you're and you're removed by a couple of weeks so you can make those adjustments. But at least you're getting them done and the sound might not be stellar for a while, but you can really refine it over time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned something that um, those that are probably new to this might not understand is the, the whole latency debt. so that um, I mean, what people see on the web is typically several seconds behind what's really happening. Oh yeah. So there's always this built-in latency between the two. Um, one of the tricks that um, my sound guy 
does that, that mixes for the web is they've got a, he's got a switch on his web soundboard and he'll listen to it coming out of his board and then you know so it's it's live you know it's consistent with the live time and then he'll switch to um, he has a web thing where it'll take a feed from the speakers on his com- or the the feed from his computer mm-hmm. just you know several seconds later and listen to that feed as well yeah so is that is that one way to is that a good idea yeah that's a great idea again it requires you to be in a different physical space yes if you're if you're in the if you're at the back of the sanctuary and it's a you know 95 db and you're not going to be able to hear anything you know over that and with the delay it's going to be chaotic so certainly if you can be removed then that's a great way to do it and monitoring the actual stream though there is the delay you know is the best way to make sure that you're hearing exactly what they're hearing as your audience is sitting out there viewing it. So if you are simply listening to your stream mix directly from your mixer, you know it's getting that far, but you don't actually know if something has gone sideways between your mixer and your encoder and the service and the output. I mean, there's there's just so many things that can go wrong. And, and any time you're doing any sort of production, you know, the, the later in the chain you can do your monitoring, the better. The fewer variables that exist downstream of where you're monitoring, the better off you are. That's why try to monitor if, as close as possible to what your audience is going to be hearing, and that's a really good thing to do. Now, related to that, another thing that I recommend that people try is when they're dialing in their mix, try to listen back in every way that your audience might be. So if you if you have a laptop, definitely listen to your laptop speakers as well. If you have a TV there with built-in speakers, listen to those for a bit. Uh, turn down the monitors or the speaker in the room and literally listen on your phone's speaker. Plug in earbuds. Uh, have a little USB speaker you can switch to. I mean, because all of these things will give you a slightly different impression of how your mix is sounding. You can't please everybody because they're, I just listed what, five or six different ways you can be listening back. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't make one mix work perfectly for everything, but you can usually find a compromise that uh, offends everyone equally, as I like to say, or, or at least tries to shoot down the middle. And I, I just find that to be super helpful. And, and I've done that for, for many years just in audio recording as well. When I have a mix that I think I'm, I'm pretty well dialed in on, uh, you know, back in the day, I would, I would burn a CD and go out to the car. I would listen in different, in different speaker systems. I'd yeah. put it on a PA. I'd, I'd listen on a Walkman, you know, whatever we could do. The more, the more you know, impressions or perspectives that you get of your mix, the better off it is. And, and here we are now streaming in the same exact situation where it's a good idea for any engineer to just kind of sample the way it's going to sound on all those different playback systems. Yeah. yeah. This also brings to mind for me is we provide the ability to look at your stats on see, you know, what devices people are listening for. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, a lot of churches will be majority mobile phone or tablet. Right. And so I would assume as you're going through, it's like, well, I better get that tablet or that phone out and, and kind of give it priority because, you know, I got more people there or, you know, some people absolutely are. yeah and and all those systems have different bandwidth you know you wouldn't you wouldn't try to make sure that the person listening on the the built-in speakers on their phone or tablet are hearing what the bass guitar is doing it's just not going to happen so don't try 
but if someone is listening on a full range system, then clearly you can make sure that they're getting, you know, they're hearing the bottom end as they should. Yeah. And that would probably kind of kind of leads into your third point uh, about the tips to having a strong sound for your stream. You, you have mined the audio space. So that's really kind of what we were talking about there when we were talking about the drums, right? Mm-hmm. And those kind of things, mining. So, so uh, 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 I'm getting a little bit lost here in my notes here, but uh, all the acoustic stuff that's going on, uh, you, you really have to keep an eye on that, not just for the live sound, but, but how is it coming across on the stream? Yeah, exactly. And the point there is the experience in the venue. And I, I listed off some of those things before. I mean, just the congregational singing, the applause, the interactions, um, yeah. those sounds, the, the acoustics of, say, a drum set or a bass amp turned up too loud. Uh, yeah, all of those things, I mean, even a choir, you know, depending on how well a choir is mic, they may be feeding their, the acoustic energy of their voices largely into the room. Mm-hmm. And the mics are doing maybe little. And it also depends, obviously, on the size of the venue and the sophistication of the system. If you're um, if you're in a you know mega church and you've got two thousand seats in this big venue, almost everything is going to be going through the sound system. So you tend to get a mix that's is closer to what you would want for the stream in a situation like that. But if you're in a small place with a couple hundred seats and there's a lot of stage volume, you may find almost nothing but the pastor's headset or lavalier and maybe the worship leader's handheld mic in the mixer and you listen back to that live and you go oh my goodness you know the stream sounds very weak anemic um thin uh, dry that's another thing when i'm talking about mining the acoustic space is to realize also that the the venue is adding reverberation and fullness to the sound and when you just have everything close mic like we tend to today what you end up is that very is with that very dry sterile you know kind of unengaging mix for the stream that's yeah. why if you can add a little bit of uh, reverb in at the mixer somewhere, that's a good idea. That can be really hard to not overdo. I mean, even in a controlled environment of a studio, it can be tricky to balance reverb levels so they're not you know, too dry or too washed. Um, better, I find in many cases, is to just make sure that there are at least some mics in the venue just picking up the room. And those can be almost anywhere. I usually recommend those be at the back. I mean, you could seriously have a have a fifty dollar um, garage sale microphone at the mixer pointing up. It doesn't have to be high fidelity. Yeah. All it's doing is capturing some of what's going on in the room, and it adds so much realism to the stream. Yeah. It makes it feel like you're there. You're hearing people um, clapping and applauding, even coughing, whatever. Um, yeah. So. Mind the acoustic space means try to find a way to bring those elements that are not in the sound system to the stream. Yeah, absolutely. That that reminds me of, we we talked to someone that was uh, giving tips for video production and their whole key was to, there was a huge, her her phrase was motion is emotion. And so she was targeting, make it feel like I'm part of the audience so that the perspective is, within the audience like i was there and so what you're talking about is the exact same thing in that i want to want to make it seem like i'm there hearing you know the people worshiping or clapping Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be as opposed to just the complete dry from the pa system right you know and one thing that i recommend people look into 
is if you've got a somewhat sophisticated church where you've got pretty much everybody using in-ear monitors on stage. Ironically, the live stream and people using in-ear monitors have similar complaints in that because everything's close mic'd into the board, they often end up on stage with a very sterile sound. They're not hearing what the audience is doing. They're not hearing the ambience or reverb in the room. So many times there will be ambience mics that are placed in the venue and then those are bled back into the in-ear monitors. So the performers get to feel like, hey, I'm actually wrapped around in this room. I'm hearing people singing. I'm hearing the applause. I'm a part of things. It doesn't sound dry and sterile. So mm -hmm. if your uh, church has those mics being fed to the in-ear monitors, consider trickling that into the live stream. You've already got ambient or room mics ready to go. Just use them, bring them into the stream, make sure that you're not bringing too much in because it can actually sound too washy. But there you go. There's your realism right there. Trickle it into your stream and, and listen to the difference. That's uh, that's a very good tip. I I, uh, I was not well, I, I was at one point a music director years and years ago uh, before they had microphones, but uh, kind of old. But uh, uh, recently I, I'm no longer on staff at a church, but I was ex executive pastor of a church and we had inner ears and we had that same complaint, you know, and, yeah. and I never thought of that. that that's a great idea. Uh, let me write that down and take credit for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely. That, that's a great idea. So look, we're, we're starting to run out of time here. But, uh, you know, as I listen to you, it's, 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 it's evident that, you know, mixing sound is an art. It's, 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 it's an important skill to learn. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Tony Harrison. I mentioned Mark Small earlier. I don't usually do this in podcasts, but I know Tony listens to us a lot. And he, he's been with a live church for years and, and uh, works really hard behind the scenes. So shout out to you, Tony. And uh, uh, we need to appreciate guys like you more often. So, so let me move into the, uh, the other point here. Learn your mixer. Learn your mixer. Uh, that's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? You know, it is, but honestly, in the realm of these digital mixers that are now kind of taken over, that can be tricky. I mean, honestly, most churches use about 10 or 20% of the capabilities of their mixer, which doesn't mean that they're necessarily being shortchanged. It just means that the, the modern mixers are so powerful and so flexible that they can do almost anything you can imagine. So what churches should do, and I encourage them to try this when they're, when they're working with their streaming, is how can they allow the mixer to essentially overcome a lot of the challenges of making a streaming mix? And essentially what it boils down to, and we've talked about this repeatedly here, is that you, you have two mixes. And essentially you have a, a live sound in the sanctuary mix, and then you have something else, completely something else, that has to be balanced differently. So if your digital mixer has the ability to to take subgroups or matrices or what, whatever digital routing your board is capable of, you can work with offsets from that. For example, if you have a drum subgroup and because of the acoustic energy of the drums in the room, you don't have to have that up more than say, you know, maybe negative 12 dB. I'm just throwing out a number there at the mixer. That's, that's inadequate for the stream because the stream isn't gonna be picking enough, up enough of the, the live drums in the room. If you can work an offset, bump that somehow, give it an extra 6 dB that's going only to the stream audio, you now have compensated for that difference. And as you float and change your live mix, that offset will be applied and you'll basically be able to track 
if he's playing too quiet, you're going to bring it up in the house, and correspondingly, you're going to bring it up by the same amount for the stream. So there are lots of tricks that you can work, especially with the more flexible, higher-end digital mixers, where a lot of this stuff can be taken care of. Now, again, that's sort of assuming a very sophisticated mixer and one person trying to do everything. So that might not be as common. But if you do have someone in another room, you can look at maybe sending a second mixer subgroups from the main mixer. If you have digitally, um, digitally networked mixers, you might be able to do a lot of the work on the main mixer and send things over uh, Ethernet to the mixer in your um, streaming room and pre-mix a lot of this stuff with subgroups that are then moved um, as subgroups at the other mixer. So there's just there's so many ways to approach this, and a lot of it honestly comes back to the complexity of the mixers, the sophistication of your system, and then honestly the the level of training that you can do and the competence of the people sitting behind the mixer. If you have a a, a mostly submixed mix going to a second room and someone doesn't have to worry about the actual EQ of the snare or whether the hi hat's too loud, they can just move a pair of faders that say drums you've just made that whole job so much easier in your streaming room. So that's what I mean by really learn your equipment, learn your mixer. Yeah, yeah. Would that be also the fifth point? Would that fall into the fifth point, master your sound in your article? Okay, so yeah, that what I was talking about there is um, mastering in a recording context means the last final compression equalization uh, right. fairy dust that goes into making something yeah. sound its, its best. And you can do the same thing from a streaming standpoint. You can load what I list as kind of the two most important uh, plugins or processing is equalization. And then after that, a form of limiting. Essentially what you're doing is you're using EQ to compensate for the sound that's coming from the mixer because the sound from the mixer is dialed in based on the sound of the sound system. So when you get the mix over here, it may sound too bright, it may sound too dull. You can do broad stroke equalization at the stereo final mix level. And then that last plug-in, which is either called a brick wall limiter or a limiter, is essentially making sure that you're you know, filling the meters, to use an old term, where you're giving a nice strong signal to the streaming encoder, but you're not experiencing any peaks at all. One And the reason I think this is crucial is many of the problems that I've, I've run up against in streaming is that the sound is too quiet. It's too quiet. It's too quiet. People are having to turn their TV to 100. It's still not loud enough. Their laptops crank. They still can't hear it. Well, in many cases, it's because the overall level is just too low because people are concerned about clipping, and rightly so. What that brick wall limiter does at the end is it brings the whole level up and it essentially eliminates that concern about clipping or distortion. Hmm. All right. Talking in some technical terms that I've, yeah, I've we got heard a of it. Deep, deep nerdy there. <laughs> I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly a lot of it. I just know it. All right. So look, we're out of time here, unfortunately. We need to have you back. But uh, the article is five tips to make your live stream sound strong. Lauren Aldrin has been our guest today. Lauren, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Is there uh, is there a way people could reach out to you if they had questions or something? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I have. Uh, I have kind of a new um, startup that I'm working with churches. It's called sonodeo.com. And okay. sono as in sound and deo as in God. So if okay. you go to sonodeo.com, there's a good way to, to reach out to me. And I'd be happy to help churches overcome some of these challenges. And, and okay. also um, the article you're mentioning is from Church Production Magazine. Okay. So I'm a regular yeah 
contributor there as well. Okay, good, good, good deal. All right, great. All right, well, look, we're out of time. Uh, again, thank you so much. If uh, And if you want to reach out to us, folks listening or watching this, and you miss some of that, just you can just send us an email, email support at streamingchurch.tv. Uh, thank you, Lauren, for being our guest today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Steve Lacey, for being with us. Great to be here. And uh, most of all, thank you, folks, for uh, being a part of the Church Solutions Podcast. My name is Phil Thompson. We'll catch you next time. Take care of yourselves.